welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzee. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzee, and today's episode is brought to you by NetHealth. So if you want your uh, physical therapy business to get online visibility, better reputation, increasing referrals, NetHealth Digital Marketing Solutions has the tools you need to beat the competition. They know you want your clinic to get found, get chosen, and get those five-star reviews on Google. NetHealth has a new offer. If you sign up and complete a marketing audit to learn how digital marketing solutions can help your clinic win, they will buy lunch for your office. If you're already using NetHealth Private Practice EMR, be sure to ask about its new integration. Head over to nethealth.com forward slash L-I-T-Z-Y to sign up for your complimentary marketing audit today. Now, on to today's episode. We are talking about how to create safe spaces for those in the LGBTQ plus community within the physical therapy world. So to walk us through that is Dr. Megan Duncan. She is a Chicagoland native who earned an associate degree as a physical therapist assistant in 2013 from Kankakee Community College. She then worked for six years in orthopedic setting while earning a bachelor's in interdisciplinary studies from Governor State University in Illinois. Later, she moved to Las Vegas to earn her doctor of physical therapy degree from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas in 2020. As a PTA, she developed and ran a pro bono clinic at her first job, first post-grad job in her hometown of Joliet, Illinois. She now practices in Las Vegas and specializes in pelvic health after completing a specialty clinical rotation with the VA hospital in Las Vegas. Duncan currently works at Kelly Hawkins Physical Therapy, a prominent outpatient physical therapy company in the Las Vegas area. At Kelly Hawkins, she built a successful pelvic health program that she has overseen and grown over the past year and a half. She also works for MPTE Final Frontier, a premier national physical therapy exam preparation company that works with domestic and foreign trained students to help them pass the board exam. In this role, she tutors PT and PTA exam candidates and assists them with the content development. She advocates for students and professionals to balance life outside of physical therapy. So today, we talk about uh, trauma-informed care, navigating trauma during the subjective exam, the importance of consent, and how PTs can make clinics safe spaces for the LGBTQ plus community. So I want to thank Megan for coming on today and walking us through this, and everyone enjoy today's episode. Hey, Megan, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you on. Hey, Karen. Awesome to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes. And like I said in the intro today, we're going to be talking about creating physical therapy space, uh, safe spaces for the LGBTQ plus community. So before we talk a little bit more about that, can you let the listeners know where your passion for this community comes from? Sure. Um, so I guess I feel like I'm just kind of a fan of the underdog in any situation. Um, I can't say that. Um, I have personally experienced like so much in this community, aside from having a lot of relationships with people and seeing what they go through and what life looks like on that side of our world, because it's a very different experience from what I've had as a, a heterosexual white female. Um, so 
And when I was in high school, I just kind of ended up best friends with a, a gay man. And he kind of brought me into the circle of his friends, which ended up being just a really large, wonderful, welcoming circle of um, people on all spectrums of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, so I got really interested in just kind of gay rights and things like that. I went to marches and did all of that. Um, tried to advocate for the community as whatever I knew to do as a 16 year old, which was not very much. Um, and now I've found myself in this position that I can do something, which is awesome. And it's not even necessarily something I thought about when I went into the niche that I'm in. Um, but I am really happy to be able to finally say that there's like some backage behind this lifelong commitment that I kind of said that I had towards the community, but was never really doing anything about other than like your like Facebook posts here and there that talk about, you know, advocacy or supporting a community that's not well supported. So I'm happy to be able to do something about it now. And let's talk about what you can do or what we can do as physical therapists to help support this community, because I'm sure a lot of people may be listening to this and say, well, what does the community need that's so different from the rest of, of uh, other communities? Yeah, absolutely. So um, just discrimination in general, it's a problem in so many realms of, of social issues, um, being gender and sexual preference, of course, is one of those huge ones. So people feeling like or actually having less access to healthcare, getting denied healthcare, getting um, given less than optimal treatment or not really getting the best of their provider because of discrimination or because of biases that those providers have. Um, likewise, they might be afraid to go to facilities or go get treatments for things that they're going through because they've experienced um, poor care before. So my niche actually is pelvic floor physical therapy. And in this, there is so much that I can do for the community and physical therapists as well. And I was thinking about this podcast and thinking, um, what actually makes my job so different from the way everybody should be treating everyone? And I think there's a lot to learn aside from just treating in pelvic floor PT. But in pelvic floor PT, um, I see a lot of people in the community because they are much more exposed to sexual violence and sexual trauma. And that correlates really significantly with pelvic floor dysfunctions. So we know from studies that um, gay men can undergo sexual violence at, at twice the rate of straight men. Transgender people will usually experience, about 50% of people will experience some kind of sexual violence in their life, um, which is a huge number, 50%. And then it's even more if they're a minority. So that's a huge community of people where like most of them need our help or need pelvic floor PT or need more support than they're getting. So I think that we can play a big role in advocating for people and making spaces where they feel like they're welcome or be that person that they can come to. And after bad experience, bad experience, bad experience in healthcare, they can come to you and feel comfortable. And that's a really great feeling from my end. And I hope that other physical therapists out that out there feel that or experience that because it's awesome. And, you know, when you're talking about uh, sexual trauma or sexual assault uh, within this community, I mean, the thing that sticks out to me is trauma. And so there is uh, more and more research. And I think more and more people are now aware of trauma-informed care. So can you share with us some of the principles of trauma-informed care and why physical therapists should care? Yeah, so this is kind of one of those things I was thinking about. Trauma-informed care and pelvic floor physical therapy is like 
every class, every time, we're always talking about it, every continuing ed course, because the nature of the work is so intimate um, and very personal. And we're asking questions that make people uncomfortable and hopefully not too much, but putting people in uncomfortable positions a lot of times. And it takes a lot for somebody to even come into my office to tackle these issues. But uh, I think we should all be kind of treating in that same way because we don't really know. Like, of course, I know when people come in for pelvic floor PT, they're probably uncomfortable. Like most of the time, people don't really like want to be there. They're there because they need it. But that goes for a lot of things in, in physical therapy, right? Like people don't want to have back pain and come in and like a lot of people don't want to get like touched and massaged. Like that's not what they intended on doing, but here they are because they need it. So being trauma-informed in any discipline is really important because you just don't know what somebody has been through. Um, so talking about trauma-informed care, I think understanding a little bit more about trauma is probably a good place to start. So I do kind of think everybody should um, reflect a little bit on what that means. So I was thinking of a good example and I think that trauma can be kind of like pain where we don't have a measurable, like objective measure for like what pain is or what trauma is. So I know if a patient comes in and says they're in six out of 10 pain, I could have a patient with that same diagnosis that might say they're in two out of 10 pain. Or um, maybe I see, let's say I see somebody with a knee replacement and I know that like a good healthy knee should have zero degrees extension, right? or before they leave the hospital, we want them to have 90 degrees of flexion. But like, I can't say to somebody like you have a 15 degree trauma contracture, like that doesn't make sense. There's no reference point that we know of other than what that person's experienced. So it's important to understand that trauma is different for each person. And some people could be really traumatized by an event and some people could not really be traumatized by the same event. And that could depend on what factors they have in their cultural background, in um, their other life experiences or the lens that they see things through. So somebody could experience um, their parents getting divorced and maybe they came out of that fine. And they're like, well, I came out of that fine. I don't know why it's so hard for everybody else, but you don't know what it was like to experience that with these other issues around you, with being a minority or having financial um, distress or anything else like that. So understanding trauma is, is the most important part first. And then when we talk about trauma-informed care, um, and this is from um, a Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, there's kind of the principles of trauma-informed care. What does that mean? So the first part of that is to realize that trauma is a widespread issue and it is invasive and pervasive and it affects people in a lot of different areas of their life. And then also realizing that there are pathways to potential recovery. After that, we should be able to recognize the signs and, signs and symptoms of trauma. So recognize what does trauma look like, um, sound like, how does that patient act? Um, how can we pick up on if they're a traumatized individual? So seeing a patient being uncomfortable in, in your clinic, um, they might not make eye contact with you. They might not wanna face you directly. You might see their body language is a little bit off, their arms are crossed, things that we've all seen. Um, we all have patients probably every day ranging anything from like that super bubbly happy patient to the one that comes in and has done PT before and had bad experiences and they're really unhappy. So recognizing what does that look like? 
and then responding by implementing that knowledge into practices and policies within just not just yourself, but the, the facility as well. So using what you know to actually change or adopt practices that are going to be more inviting or more informed and make more comfortable spaces for people that are traumatized. And then we have resisting re-traumatization. And this I think is the most important part for us as clinicians. So thinking about what we can do to make an environment that does not correlate with any kind of trauma anybody has had to make them have to revisit that. So, and that could be anything again, like there's traumatic events that range from, you know, like really terrible sexual violence. And these are maybe things that I, I hear about, but then there's also the trauma of like, having been misdiagnosed or having been told this or that by that provider or getting a hopeless diagnosis or being told that there's nothing that can be done for them. Those are things that we can actively try to resist re-traumatizing that patient in. So being honest and informative, making sure that we're not making false promise promises, but also that we're providing hope. And then thinking about what our space is like, and this is probably relative, um, maybe a little bit more for like the LGBT plus, LGBT plus community, um, where I am making sure that my space has um, signs that say all are welcome here and things that make people feel invited because they very possibly have had an experience before where they walk into a facility and like immediately feel discriminated against or immediately feel like this is not a place that I wanna be or this is not a place that's gonna give me good care. And maybe the care aligned with that or didn't, but at any rate, they've experienced that and probably or very likely more than once. So I wanna make sure that whatever I'm doing is not recreating any of that for them. And when you are understanding what trauma is and really trying to understand the trauma of the person sitting in front of you, right? I would assume a lot of that comes through our subjective exam. So do you have any advice for therapists who are navigating these waters, even newer therapists perhaps who are navigating the water who maybe aren't are not as well practiced in the art of the interview or in that process of, um, of that, uh, subjective exam. So do you have any, like, what types of questions do you ask that kind of stuff? Yeah, sure. Um, so I ask a lot of questions in public for PT, but I think the more important concept around that is, um, sometimes instead of asking questions, I, and that's not that we're talking at patients, but I do take a moment to do this. And if I am getting a sense from a patient that they may have experienced trauma, but they're not going to share that with me. Um, and that is probably more likely than not, especially on the first day when I'm doing my initial evaluation, they don't know me, they don't trust me. They don't really want to share any of this with me, let alone even be there. So a lot of times I'll take the opportunity to talk about how trauma or how other experiences can relate to pain. So I might say to, let's say to my public floor patients, um, I don't need to know, or I don't need you to tell me any details or anything, but I am uh, aware that trauma increases pelvic floor dysfunction, increases pain, and it can really affect the way that people recover. So if there's anything that I can do during this treatment to make you more comfortable in any way, let me know. If we need to stop anything we're doing, let me know. So I might just take it um, as a piece of information instead of asking a direct question, like making them tell me, 
maybe they'll do that later on in another session or two. Maybe I might need to know more at some point, but I've really never ran into that situation. A lot of patients will tell me the extent of it right there. They might mm-hmm. do it in another session or two, but it's not something that I really want to force out of people like day one. Cause if, if I do that, like, are they going to come back? Is that re-traumatizing them? Have they been forced to talk about it before? I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm maybe not the person that they want to share all that with. So I want to make sure they have the open door to tell me about it, but I'm not like dragging it out of them. Yeah. I, that's, that's wonderful advice. I really love that. And the other thing is, uh, that I heard a couple of times during kind of these principles is creating that safe space, creating that space where, like you said, everyone is welcome. How, uh, do you have any other tips and it could be from the person at the front desk all the way to, uh, to the therapist and, and every employee in between. So are there conversations with the, all the employees who work at the, within that space? And, and this may seem, uh, kind of like a silly question, but I think it's important, but colors on the wall, artwork, things like that. I think it all makes a difference, right? So what do you, what do you think? And on that note, we'll take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and be right back. When it comes to boosting your clinic's online visibility, reputation, and increasing referrals, NetHealth's digital marketing solutions has the tools you need to beat the competition. They know you want your clinic to get found, get chosen, and definitely get those five-star reviews on Google. NetHealth has a fun new offer. If you sign up and complete a marketing audit to learn how digital marketing solutions can help your clinic win, they will buy lunch for your office. If you're already using NetHealth Private Practice EMR, be sure to ask about its new integration. Head over to nethealth.com forward slash L-I-T-Z-Y to sign up for your complimentary marketing audit. Yeah, so I think that um, maybe places are a little bit hesitant to like fly this giant rainbow flag outside their door, right? Like I would totally do it if I had my own clinic, but um, I recognize that I'm like, you know, working, we're still working in a world that like from a business model, maybe we don't want to do that because we want everyone to feel welcome, right? Um, But it doesn't really take much. I think it's about really small gestures. So in our clinic, um, starting from paperwork, like they fill out paperwork online and um, gender, for example, has every option that you can think of. Um, If it is a paper form, gender is a blank space. So that blank space leaves people the option to write how they identify. Um, And I I love that option because that's even better than having to choose from like an overwhelming amount of options um, or not finding the option that you're looking for. So a blank space for gender is fantastic. Um, And then uh, what we have in our clinic, um, like I said, small gestures. I think small gestures are really the thing. We have very small little flag stickers, like on the plexiglass from our our front office, Um, just little flag stickers for like every flag that you can think of, or it has like all the colors that represent different parts of the LGBTQ plus community. So that little flag makes such a big difference because I'll tell you, a lot of our patients are not going to notice it, like your patients that don't identify in any of those ways are not even going to notice it. But those people that do are going to see it and they're going to love it. And we get compliments on that all the time. And I think like, oh my God, people are so thankful for this little tiny sticker. We got like four pack on Amazon for like probably a couple bucks, you know, it just doesn't take much. And then another thing that we have in our waiting area is a sign that says all are welcome here. 
Um, and that's such a simple thing because that's not offending anybody. That's making all people feel welcome. And people that are looking for that in their space, they know exactly what you're talking about when they see that sign. Um, and everybody else is just like, oh, well, that's a nice thing. And they might not think very much of it, but it's certainly still a good thing to hear. Like older people are welcome, younger people are welcome. Everybody's welcome here. So yeah. it's a really easy option. And I love that these are all really easy and expensive and accessible ways to show that you are working hard on creating a safe space for everyone. And like you said, a safe space for the LGBTQ plus community who oftentimes can't find those safe spaces. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another, another small thing that I do personally, because I um, want my patients before I even go into their room, maybe to like understand that I'm an advocate. I just have like a rainbow water bottle and that's what I drink out of at work. And they see that sitting on my desk and maybe some other stickers on like my laptop and stuff like that. But something that they might see like, oh, that's my therapist. And they see like a rainbow water bottle. And it's just like a little thing that makes them feel more comfortable. I love it. I love my water bottle. So everybody's happy. And do you go out physically into the community? for advocacy work or as part of the clinic, just so that people know that you're there, you know, like how, how does that work within your community? Cause I'm sure there are people who, I mean, I'm in New York city, right? So I talk about like a large amount of people, right? So how do people know how to find, so how do people, especially in these marginalized communities know how to find the people who are creating spaces for them? Yeah, so um, most communities, I'm in Las Vegas, have um, support centers or community centers that uh, support or provide or refer to services like my own or um, other providers that they know create these safe spaces. So we have a support center here in Vegas. Um, I've spoken to a little bit. I'm not necessarily within everybody's insurance provider, so that makes things a little bit harder. Um, in pelvic floor PT, I get so many patients from all over and I, I, I've had a very long wait time. It's been um, tough to go out and market. And I'm also leaving for maternity leave actually in a couple of weeks. So um, I have plans for when I come back to reach out a little bit more, but I have been swarmed with what I have. But um, going out into these community centers, just letting them know who you are, dropping off some cards. Um, I have done that. And that is a really good way to at least get started and get your name or your clinic out there. And maybe you're not what every person is looking for, but if they have your card handy and they are providing social services to somebody, they might say, it sounds like you could benefit from this. I know a great physical therapist that you could go to. Um, and then of course, we're a little bit bound by insurances. And that's definitely something I, I see in my future is trying to provide a little bit more pro bono care to people that are un uninsured or underinsured, but that's probably a future problem for me at the moment. Right. Right. And I think that's great advice. So if you're in a city, reach out to local uh, community groups, community centers, things like that. And I think that's mm -hmm. a great way for you to get out and in the community and really make a difference. Um, and now there's one more thing that I want to talk about uh, before we start wrapping things up, and that is the importance of asking patients for consent. So you touched on this a little bit, right? But yeah. especially in the pelvic floor world, where does this explained, explain to the, to myself and to the listeners, how you go about asking for consent. 
Yeah, this is definitely like if we can take home anything from if listeners could take home anything, it's to be more vigilant about asking for consent. And I can kind of trace this back to like how I've evolved in asking for consent. And I think about, and I, I think, I hope I'm probably not the only one guilty of this, but when I started, um, I started as a physical therapist assistant. So way back when I graduated as a PTA, I went to work at a facility um, where the the clinic was pretty manually aggressive, a lot of manual therapy, um, a lot of kind of aggressive manual therapy, which can be a little jarring for patients that are maybe not um, prepared for that. But I think about how many patients I just went into the room and like started palpating or like, okay, I'm gonna check this and then just like put my hands on them. And I think now about like how strange it would be to just like grab somebody's like PSISs without like telling them where you're going, like grabbing the back of their hips or having them like face a wall and then touching their back. And that can be like a very, that can like reiterate some traumatic events for people um, being grabbed from behind. That's it's, I can't believe that I did this being the person that I am now. Um, but I did, and I did it every day, all the time. And I never really thought about consent. I just figured the patient was there. Maybe the provider before me had probably done similar, the same things as a PTA. So I assumed PT had done the same. Um, and I just think how crazy that is now to me. It just is like so out there that I would have done that. Um, but asking for consent is something that should be ongoing and all the time. So from the initial evaluation and education is a big part of asking for consent, I think too, because in order to consent to something, people have to understand what it's gonna entail. And for me in pelvic floor, that's certainly relevant because I do do internal pelvic floor exams. So they need to know exactly what I'm gonna be doing. And I use a model to demonstrate and to talk about what that's going to entail. Um, and then discuss that they have the option to consent to that or to not consent to that. If they don't, there's other things that I can work on that I can help with. So I don't want them to feel pressured that they have to consent to anything that I ask for. Um, so consent though should be informing the patient pretty much every step of the way. So instead of saying, I'm going to check your pelvic alignment, nobody knows what that means. Like our patients don't know what that means. So I might ask, um, is it okay with you if I touch the front of your hips? And that, that's how I start. It's just kind of simple and explaining in layman's terms what I'm going to do. And a lot of times um, asking a patient or giving a patient options, and this is kind of part of trauma-informed care is enabling or empowering the patient to make choices or have options. So instead of saying, um, say I want to do soft tissue work, instead of saying, I will be right back, I'm going to go grab some lotion. And then the patient knows I'm going to do soft tissue work, but they didn't get an option to consent to that. I just went to go grab it. And now they feel like they're stuck there and I'm going to come back with lotion and I'm, they're going to get a massage and they don't have a choice. Um, so I might uh, say, I would like to work on this. This is why. So we can do that. If you don't want to do that, we can work on mobility in this other way. So that way they have an option for what they want to do or how they want to do it. Um, so providing options, I think is a really important part of consent. Perfect. Yeah. I think that's great. And listen, I used to do the same thing and I can't believe I did that either. Yeah. You know, it's just like walking into a room and just like touching. It's like, I wouldn't want someone to do that to me. I can't believe I did that. 
I know. And I wonder, is that like a time, a time thing, like 10 years ago, was it just more like that? And we're just more informed now? Or was I just like totally oblivious? Cause that's certainly possible. I, I, I think it's just, we're more informed now. I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. go with that, you know, and, yeah. and, and maybe a little bit of, of being oblivious. I, I don't know, but you're right. Like I would just come kind of personally stand up and you just be like, hands on the pelvis. And it's like, yeah. what is like, how, what, what was yeah. I thinking? And like necks too. I think like we would just yeah. do like neck grabbing, grabbing and- onto people's heads and everything. Very like what's, what's that about? I would never okay. do that now, you know? <laughs> Even if I'm just going to touch someone's arm, I was like, oh, I'm just going to put my hands here if that's okay. And we're going to yeah. move. Yeah. It just makes so much more sense. And I love the fact that you tied that in with um, the patient education component, because mm-hmm. I think, like you said, you can't have one without the other. It's just so important. Right. And I think that we underestimate like how much the patient wants to be educated about things. So, and that's a lesson I think I've learned in pelvic floor PT because so many people that like, they don't even know they have a pelvic floor or what it does. So education's been a huge part of my practice. Like the whole first session is really education and training and bladder and bowel training and things like that. But yeah. patients want to know, they want to know all the details. Like they love it. Tell them so they know what you're doing. So they know if they want that done or not. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're right. Patients want to know, and it doesn't matter the age they want to know what's going on with their bodies and, and what they can yeah. do to be a part of it. So it's also a great way to empower your patient to understand and take control over their, um, o- over their bodies, you know, and, and yeah. give, give the patient some autonomy and some confidence. Yeah. And, and to give the patient the opportunity to like collaborate with you instead of, be told what's happening. So to have the opportunity for them to feel involved and to have a voice in, in their decision-making and um, understand even why they're making a decision, like, so that they might know, yes, I do want this internal pelvic floor exam done because I want to know more about the tone of my pelvic floor so that I can know why I have pain or why I have difficulty emptying my bladder. Like I want them to be able to make that connection in their head and be able to consent to it knowing why. Yeah. And it's all part of patient-centered care. I mean, that's what we're all supposed to be doing, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's not patient-directed care. It's patient-centered care. Right. And just as relevant as it is for me in pelvic floor, I think it's the same anywhere else. Across the board. Yeah, Yeah. across the board. Absolutely. Well, I, you know, I want to thank you. I think this was a great conversation. Um, I feel like I've definitely learned a little bit more about trauma-informed care. So I thank you for that. Now, where can people find you if let's say they have questions, they, you know, um, they want to know how they can implement some of the things you're doing in your clinic in their own clinics? Um, yeah, sure. So I, uh, typically use my work email for anything like that. So that is mduncan at kellyhawkins.com. Um, I, like I said, I'm not much of a social media person. I wish I could say I was, that's probably not the best way to contact me. No, um, I know but... you're not missing anything. Don't worry <laughs> about it. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I'm always happy to uh, check emails and respond that way. Um, for people trying to figure out where to start. Um, I did want to mention CSM has a lot of great topics on this. I've certainly gotten a lot of information 
or um, directed myself onto what things I'd like to learn more about by going to CSM and going to these discussions. There is some information on trauma-informed care at CSM this year, as well as introductions to public floor PT for those that are interested. Um, and there are always platforms and other lectures on what we can do for the LGBTQ plus community. Excellent. Thank you so, so much. And before we wrap up, I'll ask you the question I ask everyone, and that's knowing where you are now in your life and in your career, what advice would you give to your younger self? Um, aside to not just go around touching people without <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think we would both give that <laughs> advice to each other. I think I'm fortunate that never really panned out to be anything too negative, but I would love to go back and not do that. Uh-huh. Um, But what I do tell people and recommend as far as career is to find a niche. So my niche is public floor PT. Um, Within that, my niche is being passionate and treating the LGBTQ plus community, treating patients that are transgender. That is a great niche to be in. Not everybody is doing it. It is so needed. If you can find a niche that you're passionate about and that is needed, you are never going to struggle for work or for satisfaction. Um, It really is kind of an if you build it, they will come situation. And people told that to me when I began Pelvic Floor PT. And that's what I did. I built a pelvic floor program in the company that I work for now. And like I said, I am very busy, very satisfied with the way my career has gone in that. So find a niche. And it's not something that every new student is going to know right away but get out there and explore like go shadow and go find places that are outside your comfort zone like i wasn't i didn't think i was going to go into public floor pt i don't think a lot of us that end up in it do um it's maybe not something i would have thought to shadow i would have been like well that does not sound good i don't want to do that but get outside your comfort zone go shadow and find therapists that are doing things that you don't think you would ever do and see if you can find somewhere that you're going to land and be successful I love it. That is great advice. Uh, Thank you so much, Megan. I really appreciate your time and your knowledge sharing with myself and the audience. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And everyone, thanks so much for tuning in and listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. And a big thank you to Megan for coming on the podcast today. And of course, thanks to our sponsor, NetHealth. So again, NetHealth's digital marketing solutions has the tools you need to beat the competition. They know you want your clinic to get found, get chosen, and definitely get those five-star reviews on Google. If you sign up and complete a marketing audit to learn how digital marketing solutions can help your clinic win, they will buy lunch for your office. Head over to nethealth.com forward slash L-I-T-Z-Y to sign up for your complimentary marketing audit today. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.